Well, good morning, Lindsley Avenue. It's good to see everybody today. Glad to have a couple of visitors here with us. Uh, Knowles, uh, family and, and brothers and sisters, we're glad that you have joined us as well. Uh, we're just really glad to see everybody. It's great to be alive. It's great to be out in a spring day. It's great to be together as members of God's family. I will promise you this is the last time we will see Thurl's bathrobe <laughs> on the screen. Uh, this is the last sermon in our series of the Coat of Many Colors. I hope that when you see the colors that we've been talking about, that you'll think the, about the meaning behind the colors that I have been suggesting. That's really the goal. Because we see colors all the time, and I hope when we see red that we'll think of the blood that was required for sacrifices and what Jesus did for us. When you see blue, you'll think about the cost involved in worship, giving our lives to God. When you see green, I know your skirt's green, we'll think of growth. I mean, all these different colors and the meanings behind them. You know, we talked about that for the last several weeks. Jacob had a very, very bad habit here, a very, very bad choice by not only loving Joseph, the son of his old age, the child of his old age more than the other children, he let it be known and let it become obvious by treating Joseph differently, giving him a coat of many colors, something that an overseer or a supervisor might have had as opposed to a tunic. And really, Joseph didn't do himself any favors either by talking about dreams he was having. As the dreams were coming to them, but I'm not sure. Just because you think of something and dream something doesn't mean it's a good idea just to blurt it out, where everybody was going to be bowing down to him. Now, that came true, but again, it didn't win him any favors with his brothers. So we talked about what could the colors have meant in the coat. Coat of many colors, who knows how similar it was to something like this, it's hanging on front of the podium. But if Jacob intended for the colors to have a meaning, what lessons might the colors have shown? Again, the Bible makes no reference that there was any point to the coat of many colors other than doting father giving a wonderful coat to his youngest favorite son, as it turned out. So we talked about green growth, yellow with light. We talked about blue worship. We talked about gray, gray hair and wisdom, wisdom coming from God. And then we talked about red last week. This morning, we're gonna look at the next color, which is strangely enough to finish the series is not a color that's in this coat at all. We're gonna be talking about white. We're gonna be talking about white. White might have been a color that was in most coats or most uh, tunics or things that people wore because a white or a light brown or a, you know, it's an easy color when you think of things coming from wool and stuff like that because most sheep have that somewhat whitish color. But when we think about white, all colors come from white. All colors come from white. It is the source of all colors. You know, the way you see that, if you have gone through science classes in high school, is usually involving a prism. White light will come into the corner of a prism and then you get the spectrum, the spread of the different light waves being different wavelengths for the different colors of light get spread out by the differential travel time through the medium of the prism. Sorry to turn it into a science class, but that's how that spectrum gets thrown out that way. And so we're gonna do something thinking about white and the many colors, white and the many colors. But as we get started, I want to invite you to come on down this way. Lolo, if you wanna be part of it today, you can. I still consider you a, a young person. Max and Emma, come on up. Because what I've got for you guys is a 
prism of your very own. Now, the way these things will work is, of course, you'll have to take it out of the plastic, right? You end up getting light coming in, and you'll have to twirl the prism around, hold it on one end, right, and twirl it, let the light beam hit the prism, and see if you can get a spectrum coming out of it. I will tell you that if you're standing out on the sidewalk or outside of the yard, it isn't going to work very well. What I have found the best way to do this is to get near like the shades or blinds on a window where you get just one little band of light showing on the floor coming through the shade. Position it so it catches that and turn it so it'll throw the spectrum when it bends the light up on the wall or floor somewhere. I was able to do it yesterday and I did see the prison. Do not look at the sun through this. <laughs> Why? Because you'll end up not seeing any colors at all. Okay. <laughs> You might get burned your eyes, by the way. Just be careful. I take no responsibility. You guys are old enough with these toys not to look at the sun through it. Okay, so try, try it when you get a nice sunny afternoon. It's kind of overcast today. Light coming through the shade or the blinds in the house. See if you can make a spectrum come out, because I did yesterday. But I want y'all to think about that. You can see a rainbow in it through some of the colors. I want y'all to think about that as we're talking about white here this morning. Okay? Thank you, So again, the purpose of this prism is to reveal what is usually hidden. When sunlight comes in the house, that's usually a whitish or yellowish color, right? And most of us really don't go thinking about the colors that come from light, unless you see a rainbow. Rainbow, the diffraction is not caused by going through glass. This is actually a plastic. Uh, but it's caused by reflecting off of water, you know, the water scattering the light waves and things like that. But we have sometimes a revealing of things that are hidden, a revealing of things that are hidden. And so in a similar way, I want us to think about this morning, God is the source of everything. God is light. And so when we think of light coming into a prism, which then is the source of all the colors, in a very distinct way, God being light is the absolute source of everything. All things come from God. So what does white represent in the Bible? Thinking about white today, God being the source, and I want you to particularly think about the effect of light coming into a prism. And oh, by the way, if you try this with an LED light bulb in your house, it isn't gonna work. Because the LED light bulb, like a laser, tends to put out one wavelength, a very close wavelength of light. You're just gonna get that same color light thrown on the wall. If you get a laser pointer, which is a very dangerous thing to use on one of these things, it would simply, it's the same wavelength. So it needs to be sunlight if you want to get a spectrum. So let's talk about white. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, God says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they will be white as snow. It's interesting that sin is viewed as scarlet here, red. Because when we talked about red last week, we talked about sacrifice and blood being required to forgive sin. It's as if the very act of sin creates the red in the first place, which shows that you need blood to somehow cleanse the red from sin away. Though your sins are like scarlet, very noticeable, they're gonna get wiped out. And of course, we today in, in our era know that comes from what Jesus did for us in Jesus forgiving our sins. Look at Psalm 51, verse 7. This is David after his uh, being confronted about his sin and realizing his sinful condition with what he did with Uriah and Bathsheba. 
He says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. He's apparently thinking much like in Isaiah that his sin has put a stain on him. Whether he's thinking red doesn't really matter. But the point is he's appealing to God to cleanse his sin from him. Now, I do want to point out there's a big difference between whitewashing, just covering the dirt. Think of Tom Sawyer whitewashing the fence. The fence still has all the dirt on it. He's just kind of painting over it, right? There's a difference in painting over something and somehow washing to clean. Many times it's easier to paint over the mess than it is to get the mess off of it. When God forgives our sins, when we are going to become as white as snow, when we will be washed and be whiter than snow, we're not talking about covering up sin, hiding the sin. We're talking about the sin being clean. Also, when you think about being clean, it has a great deal to do with purity, being pure once again. Sin is a stain. And so when you have sin in your life, it's, there's, there's a lack of purity. There's a lack of being who you ought to be and who God wants us to be. Jesus himself in Matthew 5, 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I really think that the big point of this statement is, is that if our hearts are pure, if our hearts are focused on God, if our lives are moving in the direction of moving toward God, then we will see God. When will that happen? I believe on that final great day when we will go and dwell with God and God will dwell with us and we'll have no need of anything because God will be all and in all. The original word for pure that Jesus uses here has a couple of interesting qualities. You know, when I think of pure, I always think of what was the advertisement for, what was it, ivory soap? And what was the percentage? 99 and three-fourths percent pure? I always wanted to wonder what's the junk that makes up that last 0.25%. If it's 99.75% pure soap, well, they got in there, arsenic, lead? I mean, what's that last little bit, right? But with what Jesus is talking about is a heart that needs to be completely pure. Well, it has a number, a number of interesting qualities. It was used for dirty clothes that had been washed clean. So, you know, in our fancy day today, right, if you throw those in that mega washing machine or whatever, no matter what was on them, the hope is that it comes out clean. Now, my grass-stained blue jeans as a kid often did not, but it was used for cleaning things off the clothes. Well, to an extent, our lives are like wearing blue jeans. And we have clothes on too, right? But our, our, ourselves, we are like those clothes. And as we go through our day, as we go through our week, and we make choices God really would not have wanted us to make, we sin, we get stains on ourselves. The good news is that even though all of us do that, some of us, or perhaps hopefully most of us, are forgiven because Jesus' blood continues to cleanse us as we walk in the light as he is in the light. So it was used for dirty clothes that have been washed clean. It was used to describe grain and flour that had been carefully sifted, cleaning out all the gunk that might have been in flour. You know, I don't think it's quite the same, but they have that little sifter. You know the sifters you had to wear your hand out to help us kind of go through here? And for some reason, I still don't understand that it's sugar the same way. You do that kind of stuff and your cakes come out fluffier. I mean, why not just take the bowl with the stuff in it and kind of throw it up and down? I'm not still quite sure why that works, but it did. There was a reason for it. It removed impurities. It might put air in the uh, flour, it might put air in the sugar. I'm sure that's probably some part of it. But 
grain and flour, if, you're, if you've seen it done by hand, there's all sorts of stuff outside, stuff being blown into it. You know, but sifting it removes the bad stuff and leaves the good. So if our hearts are pure, they will have had the bad stuff, the sin, hopefully removed, and what will be left behind will be the good stuff. It was also describing a use when describing milk or wine that had not been mixed with any other liquid. It was not diluted or watered down. Our hearts need to be pure, the real us, and not mixed in with a little bit of sin and a little bit of God. It needs to be pure. We don't need to have our lives diluted where we've got, in a sense, dual allegiances between God and the world. White represents purity. I mean, we talked about washing clothes. We talked about being white as snow. White represents purity. Remember the last time it snowed? When it first falls, right? It's this beautiful thing. Yeah, I'm still a kid. I will go out and get a handful of it, right? Lick the snow or eat a little bite of snow. I don't do that next to the street. But that stuff, it's amazing how dirty the world seems to get after just a few hours of cars driving through it, right? That white as snow is not that brown stuff near the side of the street, that brown slush. I don't tend to eat that. I want to make snow cream out of that. But white represents purity, just like the freshly fallen snow. To go home to see God, we must be pure. And so as we see white, as we see white, there's a lot of white in the, in the building here this morning. When you see white, think of pure and think that we need to be pure to go home and see God. In 1 Peter 1.16, Thor will talk somewhat about some of these things here this morning in class. 1 Peter 1.16, Peter quoting here says, It is written, you shall be holy, God speaking here. You need to be holy because I am holy. You need to be pure because God is pure. You need to be different, not like anybody else out in the world because I am unique. You need to be like me, not like people who are sinful, not like the world. And you can't fake holiness purity or cleanliness to God. Oh, you can fake it to me. Uh, people have done that, I'm sure, before. Hello there, preacher. Glad to see you. I read all of Isaiah yesterday morning in 15 minutes or whatever. They, you know, people tell preachers all sorts of things. You can fake it to a preacher. You can fake it to a, a, a spouse sometimes. You can fake it to a co-worker. We wear these masks. Remember the sermon we had on masks about a year ago? We can put on a mask. We can't hide behind a mask with God. God sees everything. Look at Proverbs 5.21. The Lord sees everything you do. Wherever you go, he's watching. You can fake it to people. You can't fake it before God. You can't pretend. Nothing is secret to God. Nothing is a surprise to him. Does it bother you that you have no secrets from God? I hope not. Because if that in any way bothers you, then you've got some secrets that you haven't really been thinking through that God knows about. God says he knows everything about you. As I say, a lot of people think they may be fooling God. He doesn't see everything that they've done, but he does. He sees right through everything. Here's the scary part. Look at what the next verse says here, we're going to look at in Mark chapter 4. Whatever is hidden will be brought out into the open. Whatever is covered will be uncovered. You know, we see on the news sometimes these big famous people and they're suddenly being led away in handcuffs. 
You know, we thought they were a successful business person, and yet it turns out they've been ripping off people for 10 years. Sometimes things like that are uncovered here and now. And this great pillar of the community turns out to have been just really horrible person. Sometimes people die and nobody ever knows about it here and now. But whatever is hidden, don't worry. God knows about it and it's going to be uncovered. It isn't going to stay hidden. Should that change our behavior? If we understand that you can't keep secrets from God, no matter how you may try to keep secrets from other people, shouldn't that change how we live? Should it change the way I act? The answer to that, of course, is yes. It should. Look at our activities. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I can pretend my treasure is with God. I can pretend, perhaps by even by coming to church services, but what do my activities, what do my day-to-day -day actions really say? My treasure is located. Where my treasure is, there my heart will be also. That's where my actions are going to be directed. Where does that point? What does that indicate about me? Look at our anxieties. Matthew 6, 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Again, rhetorical questions. Absolutely it is. Whether I go home to live with God or whether I don't has nothing to do with the brand of tie I have, the brand of shoes I'm wearing, it doesn't have anything to do with any of these externals. And yet, what do people, I'm using that very broadly, what do people worry about perhaps more than anything? I'm falling behind these other people. Why does, why does Jimmy have more than I do? Why can't I have some good stuff? You know, we worry about things that are visible in the here and now, and we don't worry about things that are behind it. It's like worrying about, think again about the spectrum on the wall, the many colors. We worry about something in blue, we worry about something in yellow and orange, but we ignore the white light that it came from. That's not the way it ought to be. Happiness only really comes from walking with God. The Bible is very clear with that. True happiness, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed there is happy, fulfilled, being in the right kind of circumstance, mindset, being where things are good. God sees our every move. He knows our motives. He knows if we have made him the top priority in our life or if we're faking it. Matthew 6, 33. This is what Jesus wants us all to do. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things that you're worried about, all these things will be added to you. Don't seek God when it's convenient. Don't seek God's warnings. Seek God first. Make that the priority instead of, like so much of the world, right? What do you think the number one priority of most of the world is? Money. That's why we all, so many people seem willing to rob and steal take and be greedy so they can get more of it. And we, we talked about this on Wednesday night class recently, you can't take it with you, right? Came into this world without it, you don't believe that. But we spend so much of our lives chasing after it. We 
have to make God the top priority of our heart. White represents God himself. God is light. So we're thinking about that from that perspective. God is the source of everything. Remember think, remember of the, uh, the prism, the white light coming in and then everything coming out of it? Romans 11, 36, everything comes from the Lord. All things were made because of him. Look at this last little statement. And all things will return to him. Here's that picture of the prism again, but I've turned it around the other way. God said, let there be light. You think about it, first thing created. God said, let there be light. And from that, effectively, everything has come. Again, the spectrum, everything comes from God. God is light. What's going to happen at the end of time? All these colors, all these things that have God as their source are going to do what? They're going to go right back to God. They won't be here anymore. The white light will still be here. All things, everything comes from the Lord. All things were made because of him and will return to him. I'm so afraid we don't really think that way sometimes when we're not gathered together like this. But we must, we must keep in mind and think about the fact that this is all the temporary stuff we're seeing now. I'm going to live with God. That's what the way the old spiritual says it. I'm going to live with God. What's the condition of your heart this morning? Some, some of you may have a broken heart. Jesus can mend it. He can fix it. Lolo said that earlier. Jesus can fix it. Some of you may have a hard heart, resisting it. Really, truly, Jesus can soften it if you will allow him the opportunity. Because Jesus was around a lot of people with hard hearts when he walked the earth. Some of you have a cold heart. Jesus can warm it. But you must give your heart to him. You need to put your heart in his care. Put your heart in his hands. That is the only way when the end of all things comes that all those colors, if we're one of these colors, if we're being one of these things God made, that we have the hope of going back to a future that will be living with God. I think that's why we're all here this morning. So I, I, want, I, want to, I want to plead with each of us. Think about where your heart is based on the last week. Have you been seeking first the kingdom of God? Have I been seeking blue on the wall or orange on the wall? Have I been seeking other things? Is my heart open to hearing God's word and letting God's word change me? letting his will for me rule my life? Or am I hard-hearted? Is my heart cold? I see suffering and I don't feel like doing anything about it. In order to have your heart be changed, you need to become a member of God's family. How do you do that? Jesus said, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Jesus also said, I tell you, unless you repent, you will die in your sins, turning your life away from living for yourself and living for God. And Jesus said at the end of the Gospel of Mark, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. It's not really that complicated. He said it. I want to beg you today, if you need to, just do it. If you're a member of God's family, but God just hasn't been the focal point, 
get back on track by asking God to forgive. We're happy, more than happy to pray with you. We all need forgiveness, every single one of us. Is your life headed home to be with God? That's the question I want you to ask yourself as we stand and sing.